I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today is the last segment of the five-part series called Climate Change, The Final Kingdom. I want you to see from Scripture why this environmental movement is not just a blip on the narrative of human history. On the contrary, I believe this global initiative will trigger the day of the Lord. In part one, I explained the 60-year-old warnings that President Eisenhower gave us in his farewell address to the nation that are all coming true now in this agenda. I outlined the players that are on the world stage and reveal the investment strategies that put us at risk. In part two, I explain what happened in 2009 when America almost lost its sovereignty and how a British lord warned us about this movement that was then in its infancy. I also revealed the charismatic leader who figured prominently back then how his role has developed over the years, and how he is likely very key to fulfilling a 4,000-year-old biblical event. In part three, I revealed the identity of the patriarch of Rome. The final kingdom, the prophet Daniel says, will be in power before the day of the Lord. Now, once you understand who this leader is, his backstory, and what drives him, you'll be able to spot the signs of what's unfolding because this movement reflects his nature. Part 4 reveals the seven biblical violations connected with our global food supply, which is a huge priority in all of the efforts to feed everyone on the planet. I include a strong warning to companies and leaders involved in this initiative, as well as investors who are making money off of it. And now in part five, I'm going to try to tie the pieces together and show you the final kingdom unmasked. First, I want to tell you what happened to the garments that God made for Adam and Eve following their fall and how those garments fell into the wrong hands. In the ancient book of Jasher, the historian wrote that after Adam and Eve died, These anointed garments were given to Enoch. Before Enoch was taken up to God, he gave them to his son, Methuselah. When he died, Noah brought them into the ark. But as they were leaving the ark, Jasher records that Ham stole the garments from Noah and hid them from his brothers. Ham then secretly gave the garments to his firstborn, Cush, who hid them from his brothers and gave them to his youngest son, Nimrod. Now, when Nimrod was 20, he put them on. And here's what Jasher wrote, quote, And Nimrod became strong when he put on the garments. He prospered in all of his battles, and his kingdom became very great. All the nations brought him offerings, and he became their lord and king. And all the earth was united and spoke the same language, but Nimrod did not go in the ways of the Lord and was more wicked than all the men that were before him from the days of the flood. That was the backstory of the Tower of Babel. And interestingly, those garments surfaced again in the story of Jacob and Esau. 
Scripture tells us that Esau loved to hunt in the field, and Nimrod, who was still the king of Babel, used to observe Esau from afar and became jealous of him, according to Jasher. One day Esau spotted Nimrod in the wilderness. He stalked him, hunted him down, and cut off his head. And when Esau saw the mighty men of Nimrod rushing toward him, Jasher wrote that he took Nimrod's garments, ran away, and hid them in his house. That was the day that Esau came home exhausted and famished, and Jacob was cooking. That day, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentils. So what I want you to see is this anointed leadership mantle was passed down to Noah, stolen by Nimrod, who built a kingdom at Babel, uniting everyone on the earth against God. And then that mantle was stolen again by Esau, who became the patriarch of Rome, the kingdom that is forming again and drawing all the nations together to war against God for the sovereignty of the earth. I want to spend the bulk of our time laying out both biblical and current events against the backdrop of the seven-day plan of God that we've talked about a lot in this series. But I remind you of two biblical principles at work here. The first is Ecclesiastes 1.9, which says, What has been is what will be. In other words, biblical events, such as the Tower of Babel, will repeat themselves. Why? Because God uses those past events as pictures to teach us what is to come. And that's the other principle found in 1 Corinthians 10, which says, All these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages have come. We are the ones upon whom the end of the ages has come. So now let's look back at the foundational Jewish doctrine that teaches that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That's the picture, the template of God's entire plan of history. This means that God gave mankind six days, each lasting 1,000 years, So mankind will exist for 6,000 years, and right after that comes the seventh, which is referred to as the Day of the Lord, which lasts a 1,000 years. Not long ago, I was doing my Torah studies one Sabbath, and I stumbled across a section describing a different way in which our forefathers looked at these seven days. They drew a line representing 6,000 years, and they divided it into three sections of 2,000-year periods each and labeled three separate eras. I want to outline these three eras and list the events that happened during each of them. You're going to see some amazing parallels and what is likely to occur in the future. The first era began at creation and lasted 2,000 years. It was referred to as the time of the patriarchs because they were the ones God entrusted with the knowledge of who he is and charged them to pass down his ways to the next generation. There were ten generations from Adam to Noah and ten generations from Noah to Abraham. 
Now, these 20 generations were broken down into the generation of the flood and the generation of the dispersion, which we don't talk about much. But it is this event that ended this first era and foreshadows, I believe, exactly what is building now within this climate change movement. After the flood, God placed great hopes in the descendants of Noah, who left the ark and settled in the plain between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and began building their civilization. They named it Shinar, which is in the present-day Iraq, and everybody spoke one language, Hebrew, God's language. These were God's people who were descended from those who were miraculously saved from the flood. So all of the ingredients for greatness were there. God instructed the people two separate times to spread out and send out colonies so they could populate the entire earth and cultivate it. But they refused. They wanted to stay where they were. So over the years, they intermarried and filled the earth with wickedness and idolatry. Now, the patriarch at this time was named Peleg, but the people rejected his influence and began to rally around the tyrant Nimrod, who ruled over all of Noah's descendants. I want to give you an important timetable clue. Peleg, the patriarch, his name means division. And whenever his name was mentioned in the list of patriarchs, the Bible always added the phrase, quote, It was in his day that the earth was divided. Unquote. Now, Peleg is associated with the dispersion because he died at the same time the dispersion occurred. So the division and the dispersion go hand in hand. So what's the dispersion? The dispersion is what God did at the Tower of Babel. The word disperse means to toss about or to scatter and spread. God went to war with Babel. He destroyed two-thirds of the civilization, confounded their language so they couldn't communicate, obliterated their unity, and scattered the remnant over all the earth. Now, the prophet Daniel tells us that right before the day of the Lord, we will experience the same thing. How do we know this? In Daniel 2, the prophet writes, this fourth kingdom is a Peleg kingdom. Daniel used the word Peleg, which means divided. Now, this is significant because God is linking the name Peleg with a latter day's dispersion. This means that at the very end of days, another alliance of nations will go to war against God. He will destroy it just like he did Babel, and that's when God's kingdom will be set up by Messiah for all eternity. So to sum this up here, this first 2,000 years was known by the sages as the era of desolation. But one godly man, was born 48 years earlier, and his walk with God saved the world from total destruction. That man was Abraham, our forefather. The second 2,000-year era is referred to as the era of Torah, with Abraham as the leading patriarch. 
His descendants earned the privilege of being God's chosen people, whose charge was to teach the sovereignty of the one true God and how to follow his ways. The general consensus among the rabbis is that Abraham lived out the Torah even before Moses wrote it down through divine inspiration of Holy Spirit. As I've mentioned before, Abraham's life was threatened several times by Nimrod, and at an early age he lived with Noah and Shem for 39 years, and they were the ones who taught him God's ways. Now, during this era, most of our biblical history took place. The nation of Israel was chosen to carry God's ways. The Torah was written. The tabernacle was built. Israel rose to its greatest height and influence under King David and then his son Solomon, and both temples were built. However, during this same period, the four great kingdoms of the world came to power as the prophet Daniel foretold. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, who invaded Israel, destroyed the temple, and subjugated God's people all the way to the year 4000, which was the year that Jesus was crucified. So once again, this era began glorifying God, and it ended in destruction. Now, the kingdoms of Greece and Rome introduced a poisonous influence into the culture. It was known as Hellenism. It began under Alexander the Great, but exploded as a way of life under the Roman Empire, and it has never gone away. We see it today expressed in the mandates for political correctness, homosexuality and gay marriage, the blending of races and genders, and the rise of pedophilia. All of this is part of the Hellenistic culture as well as the rise of anti-Semitism and the violent backlash against anybody who takes a stand for God and his ways. Now, to learn more about Hellenism, I'll provide links to my monograph and my four-part podcast series on transgenderism, which is basically the face of 21st century Hellenism. A key event to note came at the very end of this second era. The Roman king Antiochus Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem and erected a statue of Zeus in God's temple. The priests had become corrupt. They were given power and money if they quit doing Judaism and live instead like Gentiles. And that caused great division in the Jewish people. And this is when the Maccabees, who were a family of priests, rose up and went to war to cleanse the temple from the defilement of Rome and rededicate it to God. There were horrible wars and persecutions during the final years of this era, which fulfilled prophecies, again, from the book of Daniel, who wrote that the same thing would happen leading up to the year 6000. The third and final era covers the 2000 period between the years 4000 and 6000 after creation. Now, obviously, we're not quite through this era yet, but we are close to the end. This period is known by the Jews as the era of Messiah. Now, remember, all throughout the 6000 years, God has been establishing a place for him to dwell with his people. That was the plan. The first era, it was through the patriarchs. 
The second era was through the nation of Israel who guarded and taught the Torah. And now this third era is through the Holy Spirit who has written the law of God upon our hearts. So just as God looked to Abraham to fulfill the mission of creation during his era, so at the beginning of the year 4000, God looked to the followers of Messiah, both Jews and Gentiles, to become lights in the world through the work of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, the attack against the Gentile body of Messiah happened almost immediately and has not stopped. Its intent was to sever us completely from our Jewish roots. What we ended up with was two diametrically different religions, Judaism and Christianity. This was never God's desire. I want to share six highlights that show the onslaught of Hellenism against the new believers after Jesus' resurrection. Number one, in the first century, Gentiles who became followers of Jesus practiced Judaism, and they taught others to do likewise. They were called the Way, and the group consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. Highlight number two, in the Hellenistic culture, the early believers were pressured to choose Sunday as their day of worship instead of the Sabbath. The enemy has always attacked the Sabbath. Number three, the pressure continued and the messaging was changed to say that since Jesus rose again on Sunday, we should replace the Sabbath with Sunday. Number four, the Sabbath became tolerated for a while along with Sunday worship, so Hellenism was trying to be politically correct and inclusive for a time. But in 321 AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine issued an edict mandating that Christianity was to be the official state religion and Sunday was the official day of rest. This edict was an all-out attack on Judaism. And number six, some 40 years later in 365 AD, the Council of Laodicea mandated that Christians must work on the Sabbath and celebrate what they called the Lord's Day on Sunday. This council went so far as to write that if Christians honored the Sabbath, quote, let them be anathema from Christ, unquote. This was a curse. They declared that any Christian who honored the Sabbath would be cut off from Jesus altogether and basically be damned to hell. For almost 2,000 years, this Hellenistic influence has grown more and more and divided into two separate bodies, the Jewish people whom God loves and Gentiles who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. These two groups should never have been split because both are beloved of the Father. Now, the seeds were sown in this third era, which led Christians to build a religious system of man-made traditions that left behind Judaism and the study of Torah. And that has caused irreparable damage in that many believers are missing a critical component to their spiritual foundation and preparation for these end times by rejecting everything Jewish. 
In like manner, devout Jews refuse to listen to anything Christians say, because, as I mentioned in Part 3, the word Christianity is synonymous to them with Esau and Rome, who have always been mortal enemies of Israel. So to wrap things up, I believe that history will show this third era will be known by six significant movements. The first movement will be global, with pressure put on nations and people to align and conform to this final kingdom. This is the climate change agenda as the new Tower of Babel. One people, one language, save the planet with 5% of the elite compelled to control every resource on the planet and rule over the remaining 95%. Only those who comply to this kingdom will be allowed to exist. The second movement will be the growth of anti-Semitism as Rome and Esau continue to show their true colors in their hatred of Israel and Israel's God. The third movement will be an even greater falling away among Jews who want to be part of this global community. The lure of Hellenism will be, come and join us. Let's be one world, one people, one religion. The stage is then set for a third temple to be rebuilt. The Temple Institute states in their own literature that they are waiting for Messiah to come and lead the rebuilding but the Messiah they are waiting for will be the false one. The fourth movement is a repeat of the invasion of the temple by Roman forces. I see that the mandates to vaccinate every person metaphorically fulfilled Daniel's prophecy in that something foreign invaded our bodily temples with the goal of defiling them and reducing the world population. In the time that we have remaining, I believe we'll see more plagues released, more vaccine mandates, and threats of quarantine camps for the noncompliant. The fifth movement will be the rise of the new Maccabees as a small group of godly believers who will refuse to bow the knee to government mandates. They will fight for God's people to be cleansed of defilement, and if the third temple is rebuilt and likewise defiled as before, they'll fight to cleanse it as well. And the sixth movement is something I'm very much a part of now, which is the release of the spirit of Elijah that the prophet Malachi said would come to call the children back to the fathers. I am at work every day calling out to believers in Jesus to return to our Jewish roots. One of the most important monographs I have written is called Jewish Roots, God's Call to Reconnect. In it, I analyze the expression known as the body of Christ. And in this monograph, I examine this body and I ask readers, if Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, what is the spine? How you answer that question will determine how ready you are for the day of the Lord. I'll put a link to this monograph in the description notes to this episode. The prophet Daniel saw all this coming. He saw the danger these new Maccabees would face opposing this new world order during the latter days. 
So I close with this word of encouragement from Daniel 11. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And those among the people who are wise shall make many understand. To learn more, you'll find this episode and the entire series at CandiceLong.com slash podcasts. In my online store, you'll find the 31-page monograph called The Final Kingdom. It's one of my most important writings and includes helpful graphics and charts, as well as links to all of my resources. I want to thank you so much for being with me today. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless you.